Welcome to the house of God. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to start this morning with a song that says, I could sing of your love forever.
frați și surori, vă spun bun venit la Casa Domnului în această dimineață, așa cum am cântat, mi-e dor de Domnul Isus Hristos și cred că toți ați venit în acest loc pentru că vă este dor de El. Așa este? Haideți în aceste clipe să deschidem cuvântul lui Dumnezeu la epistola lui Petru, 1 Petru, capitolul 1, versetul 13 la 16, și spune așa, De aceea încingeți-vă coapsele minții voastre, fiți treji, și puneți-vă toată nădejdea în harul care va fi adus la arătarea lui Isus Hristos. Ca niște copii ascultători, nu vă lăsați să în poftele pe care le aveați o altă dată, când erați în neștiință, ci după cum, cel ce v-a chemat este sfânt, fiți și voi sfinți în toată purtarea voastră, căci este scris, fiți sfinți, căci eu sunt sfânt. Amin. Amin. Ocupați locurile pentru câteva momente. Pasajul acesta care l-am citit ne sublinează câteva îndemnuri pe care Apostolul Petru ni le spune și noi ca și copiii lui Dumnezeu care îl iubim și am cântat că așteptăm venirea Lui, trebuie să le împlinim. În primul rând spune așa, dar încingeți-vă coapsele minții voastre. Imaginea pe care Petru ne-o dă în această dimineață citind în acest cuvânt este această imagine pe care, desigur, cu toți o cunoaștem, am citit-o de multe ori, este în exod, atunci când copilul Israel erau gata să iasă din Egipt, spune așa, când veți mânca mielul să aveți mișocul încins, încălțămintele în picioare, toiagul în mână și să-l mâncați în grabă, că sunt paștele Domnului. La fel ca și Israel în călătoria lui spre Canaan și noi în viața noastră suntem în această călătorie spre țara cerească. Și desigur, ceea ce Petru vrea să ne îndemne este să fim atenți să fim cu mintea pregătită, să fim gata de călătorie. Suntem pe acest drum care durează o viață întreagă. Dar trebuie să fim pregătiți la orice moment. Apostol Pavel spune, încingeți-vă coapsele minții voastre. De ce? Pentru că mintea noastră, dragii mei, așa cum știți, poate să rătăcească și dacă suntem în biserică. Da? Câți dintre noi nu s-au gândit deja oare când... Vine vremea să mergem la lunch, așa Suntem în biserică, dar mintea noastră călătorește. De aceea trebuie să ne încingem coapsele minții. Și spune această metaforă în FSN și Pavel, 6 cu 14, stați gata, dar având mijlocul încins cu adevărul. Și care este adevărul? Cuvântul lui Dumnezeu. Mintea noastră trebuie să fie întotdeauna cuprinsă de adevărul lui Dumnezeu. Atunci când mintea noastră se gândește la Dumnezeu, este cuprinsă de cuvântul lui Dumnezeu. Să știți că diavolul nu mai poate să ne atace la nivelul minții noastre, să ne ducă gândul în altă parte. Atunci putem să ne concentrăm la Dumnezeu, la cuvântul lui, să stăm pe calea lui. După ce ne-am încins coaptele minții, îmi spune Petru, fiți treji. De multe ori când vorbim de cuvântul treaz, înseamnă să nu dormi. Dar ceea ce înseamnă în acest cuvânt este să fii sobru, adică să nu fii biat, să nu fii intoxicat. Nu lăsa ca mintea ta să fie intoxicată de toate lucrurile acestei lumi. Și sunt multe lucruri în lumea aceasta care ne atrag, care ne fac să ne gândesc, care ne îngreoaie mintea noastră. Să știți că nu trebuie să le rezolvăm pe toate lucrurile noi. Da? De aceea să fim treji, să fim sobri, să nu lăsăm ca aceste lucruri să ne cuprindă mintea, ci mintea noastră întotdeauna să fie clară și a țintită spre ținta de sus, acolo unde vrem să ajungem într-o zi. Versetul 13 mai spune și puneți-vă toată nădejdea 
în harul care va fi adus la arătarea lui Hristos. Asta înseamnă să trăim cu nădejde. Nădejdea, în esență, este această substanță, în esență, ca și credința. Diferența este că credința crede pe Dumnezeu, că Dumnezeu ce a promis a făcut, poate să facă. Nădejdea este că Dumnezeu va face în viitor. Amândouă au credința în Dumnezeu. Timpul este doar diferit. Unul este pentru acum și unul este pentru viitor. Evrei 6 cu 19 ne spune că promisiunile lui Dumnezeu sunt o ancoră a sufletului nostru. De aceea, nădejdea noastră trebuie să fie bine ancorată în acest cuvânt care ne spune că Dumnezeu într-o zi se va întoarce Domnul Iisus Hristos și va lua mireasa Lui cu sine acasă. Versetul 13 spune, puneți-vă toată nădejdea în harul care va fi adus la arătarea Lui Hristos. Când noi am primit mântuirea, vă aduceți aminte de acea zi minunată când ați spus da Lui Hristos? Prima fază a salvării s-a arătat. Suntem mântuiți prin Domnul Iisus Hristos. Acum, dragii mei, așteptăm a doua fază a salvării, trupurilor noastre. Pentru că trupurile acestea ale noastre, într-o zi, vor fi schimbate în trupuri de slavă. Aceasta nădejde ne spune Apostolul Petru. Să avem amțintită nădejdea noastră spre acea zi când Domnul Iisus Hristos va reveni și va schimba trupurile noastre în trupuri de slavă. Desigur că nu este ceva necunoscut pentru fiecare dintre dumneavoastră, nici unul dintre noi nu am putut participa la salvarea sufletelor noastre. Nu cu aur, nu cu argint, nu cu fapte bune. Exact așa va fi și atunci când Hristos se va arăta și va schimba trupurile noastre. Nu datorită bunătăților noastre, datorită faptelor noastre, ci va fi datorită Harului Său. Vesetul 15 și mă apropii de încheiere. După cum Cel ce v-a chemat este Sfânt, fiți și voi Sfinți în toată purtarea voastră, căci este scris, fiți Sfinți, căci eu sunt Sfânt. De multe ori trebuie să ne întrebăm care este standardul nostru de Sfințenie. Dacă ne comparăm cu oamenii, să știți că s-ar putea să găsim că poate că suntem mai buni ca și ei. Însă atunci când ne comparăm cu standardul care este Dumnezeu, niciodată nu vom ajunge la acel standard, decât Domnul Isus, prin jertfa Lui, ne poate sfinți în așa fel încât Tatăl să poată să privească la noi, să ne vadă curați. Ionul Ioan spune în capitolul 33, în versetul 33, dar știm că atunci când se va arăta El, vom fi ca și El, pentru că îl vom vedea așa cum este. Oricine are nădejde aceasta în El, se curăță după cum este curat. Faptul că Domnul Isus Hristos ne-a sfințit, ne-a curățit, nu ne absolvă pe noi de lucrul acesta de a ne sfinți în fiecare zi. Noi avem partea noastră de făcut, de aceea și Domnul Isus Hristos spune în Matei 5 cu 48, voi fiți dați de săvârșiți, după cum și Tatăl vostru și Cel Ceresc este de săvârșit. Petru ne spune, fiți sfinți, asemănați-vă cu Cel ce v-a chemat, care este Sfânt. Deci dacă avem nădejde, atunci ne sfințim. Pentru că suntem în așteptarea mirelui. De când Domnul Iisus Hristos a plecat, biserica tot așteaptă. Și noi, mireasa Lui, și astăzi așteptăm. Anticipăm acea zi. În călătoria noastră pe acest pământ, dragii mei, știți de multe ori, greutățile acestei vieți care le întâmpinăm ne apasă. Sunt multe piedici pe cale. Uneori cădem, însă să știți că Harul lui Dumnezeu ne ridică. Da? Asta este foarte important să nu, să nu ne pierdem nădejdea. 
Nădejdea noastră este în ceva mult mai mare decât ceea ce vedem noi. Este în Hristos. De aceea această nădejde ne face atunci să fim atenți, să ne pregătim, să ne sfințim, să ne facem datoria noastră. Ne ajută să stăm treci pe cale, să fim atenți la ceea ce ascultăm, la ceea ce ne gândim, să avem întotdeauna mintea noastră cuvântul lui Dumnezeu. Și atunci va fi minunat pentru noi călătorim pe acest pământ, în ziua aceea când sfârșim alergarea, să auzim cum Domnul Iisus ne zice, vină slugă bună și credincioasă, de intră în bucuria stăpânului tău. Amin. Haideți în această dimineață, ridicați pe picioare, să venim înaintea Domnului și să-i mulțumim pentru Harul Său care ne-a salvat și să rugăm să ne dea această nădejde în viața noastră, să putem întotdeauna să fim gata, să ne pregătim pentru venirea Lui. Amin.
ocupăm locurile și vom câteva. Binecuvântat să fie Dumnezeu! Amin. Vă binecuvântăm din casa Domnului! Ne bucurăm că în această dimineață Domnul ne-a dat harul acesta ca să fim în casa Lui și să ne bucurăm. Doresc să citesc ca motivație pentru următoarea rugăciune, care va fi o rugăciune pentru cauze, atât cele spirituale cât și cele fizice, pământești, cele de ordin fizic care ne dor și la care dorim ca Dumnezeu să intervină. Voi citi Psalmul 62. Dar numai în Dumnezeu mi se încrede sufletul, de la El îmi vine ajutorul. Dar El este stânca și ajutorul meu, turnul meu de scăpare, nici de cum nu mă voi clătina. Până când vă veți năpusti asupra unui om, până când veți căuta cu toții să-l doborâți ca pe un zid gata să cadă, ca pe un gard gata să se surpe. Da, ei pun la cale să-l doboare din înălțimea lui, le place minciuna, Cu gura binecuvintează, dar cu inima blestemă. Da, suflete, încrede-te în Dumnezeu, căci de la El îmi vine nădejdea. Da, El este stânca și ajutorul meu, turnul meu de scăpare, nici de cum nu mă voi clătina.
Pe Dumnezeu se întemeiază ajutorul și slava mea. În Dumnezeu este stânca puterii mele, locul meu de adăpost. Popoare în orice vreme, încredeți-vă în El, vărsați-vă inimile înaintea Lui. Dumnezeu este adăpostul nostru. Da, o nimica sunt fii omului, minciună sunt fii oamenilor, puși în cumpănă toți la oaltă ar fi mai ușor decât o suflare. Nu vă încredeți în asuprire și nu vă puneți nădejdea zadarnică în răpire când cresc bogățiile, nu vă lipiți inima de ele. Odată a vorbit Dumnezeu, de două ore am auzit că puterea este a lui Dumnezeu. A ta, Doamne, este și bunătatea, căci Tu răsplătești fiecăruia după faptele Lui. Amin. Binecuvântat să fie Dumnezeu. Un psalm minunat al lui David. Este o mărturisire a celui care și-a pus încrederea în Domnul. Dumnezeu este stânca și ajutorul lui. Încrederea sa este în exclusivitate în Dumnezeu. Puterea și bunătatea sunt la Domnul. Chiar dacă cei răi se năpustesc asupra celui credincios, scăparea lui este sigură pentru că Dumnezeu este stânca lui și ajutorul lui. Chiar dacă cei răi, din nou spun, se năpustesc asupra celui credincios, chiar dacă oamenii răi au planul rele împotriva noastră, împotriva copiilor lui Dumnezeu, scăparea noastră este la Domnul Isus Hristos. Acest adevăr fundamental trebuie să fie pentru fiecare credincios. Nu numai David trebuie să-și pună încrederea în Dumnezeu, ci fiecare dintre noi să facem lucrul acesta. În necaz, în strâmtorare sau în împotrivire din partea vrășmașului, noi să ne întoarcem spre Dumnezeu ca singura izbăvire, singurul adăpost și sprijin. Să subliniem primul adevăr din acest psalm este că toți să ne punem încrederea în Domnul. Niciun necaz să nu ne clatine încrederea în El. De la El vine izbăvirea și El însuși este mântuirea și tăria mea. Al doilea mare adevăr trebuie să subliniem că este în vremuri de îngrijorare, trebuie să aleg în mod voit să mă încred în El. Și prin rugăciune îi voi încredința totul Lui. Versetul 8 subliniază așa de frumos acest lucru. Popoare, în orice vreme încredeți-vă în El, vărsați-vă inimile înaintea Lui. Dumnezeu este adăpostul nostru. Și Apostolul Pavel îi sfătuiește pe frații din Filip și spune, nu vă îngrijorați de nimic, ci în orice lucru aduceți cererile voastre la cunoștința lui Dumnezeu prin rugăciuni și cereri cu mulțumiri. Binecuvântat să fie Domnul! Și al treilea lucru care trebuie să reținem din acest psalm este, eu voi aștepta, așa, vor, așa spune și psalmistul David, Domnul va lucra pentru mine cu milă și cu bună voință, versetul 11 și 12. Odată a vorbit Dumnezeu, de două ore am auzit că puterea este a lui Dumnezeu. A ta, Doamne, este și bunătatea, căci Tu răsplătești fiecăruia după faptele Lui. Să ne punem încrederea deci în Domnul și să așteptăm intervenția sa binecuvântată. Să alegem în mod voit, să ne supunem toate problemele noastre și îngrijorările noastre și nevoile noastre, fie cele fizice, fie cele spirituale, la picioarele Domnului și să venim cu mulțumiri înaintea Lui știind că El ascultă rugăciunile și că El răspunde cererilor noastre sprijinindu-ne în toate nevoile noastre. Glorie Lui Dumnezeu! Vreau să ne rugăm în această dimineață, cum spuneam, și pentru nevoi spirituale. Acestea sunt prioritare. 
Starea spirituală este prioritară și Dumnezeu trebuie să intervină și noi vrem să, ca El să binecuvinteze partea spirituală a bisericii noastre și a familiilor noastre. Ne rugăm în dimineața aceasta pentru biserica din Marysville care are în această dimineață inaugurarea noului locaș care l-au construit. Fratele Moise și fratele Alin sunt plecați la acest serviciu de inaugurare la Marysville când ei au ajuns la acest liman și Dumnezeu i-a ajutat să poată să construiască un nou sanctuar și astăzi are loc inaugurarea. Ne rugăm pentru frații de la Marysville, ne rugăm și pentru frații de la Modesto. Fratele Nelu Moise este plecat la Modesto în dimineața aceasta. Și apoi ne rugăm pentru toate de departamentele bisericii noastre. Pentru că atunci când ne rugăm pentru departamentele bisericii noastre, ne rugăm de altfel pentru noi, pentru familiile noastre și pentru lucrarea lui Dumnezeu din locul acesta. Pentru bordul pastoral, pentru cel administrativ, ne rugăm pentru bordul de tineret, pentru întregul departament de tineret, pentru departamentul de școală duminicală, pentru frații care se ocupă de ordine, de security, pentru grupurile de laudă ale bisericii noastre, ca ei să facă lucrarea spre slava lui Dumnezeu, pentru corurile bisericii noastre, pentru orchestră, ne rugăm și pentru proiectul de construcție, care dorim și noi să-l aducem la bun sfârșit, Domnul să ne dea biruință și izbândă. Și apoi să ne rugăm și pentru cei care trec prin suferință, care sunt bolnavi. Pentru fratele George Hurduc din biserica noastră, dorim ca Domnul să se atingă de el și să-l binecuvinteze în starea lui de suferință prin care trece. Pentru fratele Mihai Chiriac ne rugăm, care de asemenea este foarte bolnav, a avut o operație, a fost în spital, ne rugăm ca Dumnezeu să-l vindece, ca Dumnezeu să se atingă de el. Și ne rugăm pentru toți frații în vârstă, pentru toate familiile care nu pot să vină la casa lui Dumnezeu, care stau datorită neputinței acasă, poate ne urmăresc unii dintre ei, sunt cu noi pe net, dar ne rugăm ca Dumnezeu să-i binecuvinteze acolo, acasă, unde sunt, în starea lor fizică și Domnul să-i ajute în întărire și apropiere de Dumnezeu și întărire fizică, Dumnezeu să intervină la toate stările lor de boală și de neputință. Dacă mai sunt cauze în biserică, vă invit să vă ridicați în picioare și să le prezentați cu ridicare de mână sau chiar cu viu grai și ne vom ruga toți ca Dumnezeu să ia aminte și Domnul să lucreze la cauzele dumneavoastră. Dacă sunt cauze, Domnul să ia aminte din partea fraților, din partea aceasta. Domnul să lucreze. Cu toții să venim înaintea Domnului în rugăciune. Te slăvim, Doamne, ne închinăm înaintea Ta, binecuvântăm numele Tău.
mărire și aleluia. Amin. Vă rog să luați locurile. Vă salutăm pe toți care în această dimineață ați ales să fiți în casa Domnului în Biserica Maranata. Domnul să vă binecuvinteze. Salutăm pe toți vizitatorii care sunt în mijlocul nostru, care au venit poate pentru prima dată în biserica noastră, Domnul să vă binecuvinteze, Domnul să vă cerceteze și să vă dea un timp binecuvântat în casa Domnului. Ne vom închina înaintea Domnului în continuarea slujbei, împreună cu corul mixt al bisericii, apoi un grup de băieți vor lăuda pe Domnul cu cântarea Osana, apoi un violin, violin grup va slăvi numele Domnului.
that's all good to us. Amen. 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 Before we sing, I just want to share a little testimony. On our way back from the summit, a couple of us guys, we got to drive back together. And as we were driving back, God really filled our car with his love and with his joy. And when we stopped by to eat, he gave us an opportunity to share that love of Jesus and to share about Jesus to a little boy who didn't know who Jesus was. And after that opportunity, we were all so overwhelmed and so overjoyed that we got to share about Jesus. And we just started worshiping God. And as we were worshiping, he put in our hearts to sing together in church. And we pray that in this song, his name is glorified because he is worthy of all the praise. And our prayer is also that through our little testimony, we're encouraged to continue to walk in his love and to continue to share the love of Jesus with those around us. Amen. Amen.
Hosanna, Hosanna, 
slăviță fie Domnul! Entuziasmul tinerilor ne dă având și nouă celor mai în vârstă. Și ne bucurăm de faptul că ei au fost la summit duminica trecută, weekendul trecut și s-au bucurat deosebit acolo. Frații tineri care au cântat au făcut introducerea și urmează acum să ascultăm trei mărturisiri din partea tinerilor despre bucuria lor de la summit, modul cum Dumnezeu i-a cercetat și i-a binecuvântat. Fratele Chris Balas, urmat de fratele David Ușvad și apoi de fratele Mike Hurduc. Ne vor aduce testimonii. Domnul să-i binecuvintează. Pacea Domnului, să fie, să fie Domnul că am ajuns toți cu bine acasă și au fost cu noi pe drum. La Summer a fost slujba divină în fiecare zi, dimineața și seara, și poi în timpul zilei să facă și studiu biblic. Și ce mă plăcut mie cel mai mult a fost slujbele de după masă, s-a făcut cântări și apoi predici și după predică să se făcea rugăciune în timp ce cânta grupul de laudă și rugăciunile au fost deosebite și Duhul Sfânt era prezent în fiecare seară și mișca într-un mod minunat. Sâmbătă seara a fost o seară mai deosebită pentru mine, s-a făcut din nou, a fost slujbă și apoi a făcut rugăciune după și s-a predicat despre botezul cu Duhul Sfânt și despre umperea Duhului Sfânt și... S-a gătat predica cam pe la noua jumate și au început rugăciunea și a fost un timp binecuvântat, Duhul Sfânt era la lucru și m-a cercetat și a cercetat pe mult și m-a răumplut cu Duhul Sfânt să vii să fie El. A fost rugăciunea de la noua jumate până la 11 jumate, a fost o rugăciune și a fost un timp extraordinar și minunat. Și Dumnezeu m-a pus pe inimă ca nu numai când venim la biserică sau când ne adunăm cu frații să stăm la părtășie cu El, ci și acasă, când suntem singuri, să ne punem timp deoparte, să-L căutăm pe El și să ne stăm în rugăciune înaintea Lui și să citim mai mult din cuvântul Său și mulțumesc Lui pentru aceasta. Apoi, duminică, pe drum spre casă, eu am fost în ven cu mai Duc și cu mai mulți tineri. Am plecat pe la 12 și uh, trebuia să stau de vorbă cu Maica să nu adormă la volan, uh, și n-am știut așa prea multe ce să vorbim, cam trei ore am stat amândoi acolo și nu mă căscam unul după altul. Uh, și apoi pe la trei jumate ne-am oprit să mâncăm și am plecat înapoi pe drum cam pe la patru jumate. Și uh, am, după aia m-am gândit, ok, trebuie să vorbesc despre ceva, să ne adormim. Și am vorbit, am început să vorbim despre biserică, despre Dumnezeu și uh, Cam pentru cinci ore a fost o conversație foarte, foarte interesantă și Duhul Sfânt era prezent chiar acolo în mașină și nu m-am așteptat la asta, dar a fost un timp minunat și Dumnezeu ne-a vorbit și a fost minunat și m-a aprins o râvnă ca să-L caut pe El mai mult și chiar aici la biserică și acasă să-L urmăm pe El și să-L slujim Lui din toate inimile noastre, să vii să fie El. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. How are you guys doing? Amen. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord again. 
I'm going to give a short uh, report uh, on behalf of the youth uh, uh, from our church that went to the summit. Uh, great opportunity to just meet with the Lord, and um, it was a great place to just be around people uh, 24-7 for about five days um, that were just people that loved the Lord. And what a great place to be um, in that, uh, that atmosphere. So Friday morning, we left with about 40 youth from here from Sacramento, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was about more than, uh, close to about 80 uh, Sacramentians <laughs> uh, that, that went to the summit, praise God. Amen. And so we ended up leaving, and from the moment we left, I can tell that God was already present. Until the moment we came back, God was already present, and he was still working. And so, yeah, praise God for that, amen? It's beautiful when you take the Lord with you wherever you go. It makes everything a million times better. And so I just want to share uh, a few things, uh, but before I go into three things that marked me was uh, a couple people from our church, like Maria Stoika and Avira um, uh, Todarian, got baptized with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, praise, praise God. God. And that's a, if the camp was just for them, it was totally worth it, uh, to tell you the truth. And so that was uh, an amazing, uh, an amazing um, thing to hear and testimony that they'll probably share a little bit later. But three things that marked me very short um, was, uh, once again, our youth. I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat it. You guys, our youth is amazing. <laughs> our youth, our youth is, is awesome. They're respectful. They're honest. They're, uh, they're just wonderful people all around. And, and to tell you the truth, I, I want to take the credit. <laughs> you know? Um, I wish. Uh, but... Uh, you know who it was? You know why our kids are so God-fearing people and, and so loving and so uh, um, compassionate? It's because of you guys, parents. You are the parents that made that happen. You guys are the, the people that took the time and the effort to, to raise your children to love the Lord. And that's what it was, ultimately. It, it, it's so beautiful. So I love to take our youth wherever we go. And um, so God bless you guys. God bless you guys for that. As mentioned, uh, Chris was mentioning our last service uh, uh, for, the, for the summit. Um, we had uh, Eddie uh, uh, speak and uh, he spoke about the Holy Spirit. And, and then after that, um, we dove into a prayer. And here's the, here's the funny thing you guys didn't know. It was, hey guys, for the next 30 minutes, we're going to be praying. And after that, feel free to do as you guys wish. Because we had some activities afterwards and, and whatnot. Uh, to, if you guys want to worship, continue worship. If you guys want to pray, continue pray. And the prayer was going until 1130 almost. Do you guys understand what that means? Is that your kids, your youth, the youth here, were so on fire for the Lord that instead of going out to go play or whatnot, they were inside praying because they wanted to get closer to God. Yes. And that moves me so very much. To see that, that our young people love the Lord and they just want to get closer to Him no matter what. So I encourage you guys, do not stop and continue to do that at your own homes. Amen. And the last thing that marked me was a couple of days ago we had youth night. And like every single year after the summit, I want to hear what happened. You know, I have my own perspective of what happened at the summit. Other people have their own perspective and their own testimonies. And so what we did Friday night, we did testimonies. We did testimony night, and from about 7.30 to about 8.40, <laughs> we had just testimonies. 15, 20, about 25 people came up and gave the testimony of how God worked in their lives, and what God did for them, and how 
from that moment on, they were changed or they're rededicating their life to the Lord or they're finding God for the first time, understanding who Christ is. Uh, we, were, we were at camp and, and God revealed to me what happened. And, and, and man, I was refilled with the Holy Spirit. And, and you know what I took from that? You know what marked me so much from that? Is that God does not work in only one way, guys. God worked in so many different ways. It was about 20 different ways that God works. And so if I could challenge you guys, do not limit God on just that God worked in my wife or my husband's life this way. And it has to work in my life that way. It's not like that. God meets you where you guys are at. He meets you where you are so that you have a personal experience with him. So those are the few things that marked me. And if I can encourage you guys, continue to pray with your young people at home. Continue to encourage them to pursue the Lord and, and to not stop here, but to continue to take it home and at their jobs, at work, in their schools, with their friends, with their neighbors, with their, you know, that experience that they were talking about. They went to a fast food place. They, they, they met with a little kid. They, the kid came up to them, and it was Justin, Reuven, David, and, and uh, Michaletz, and they were just chatting with him. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. There's a couple of you guys. <laughs> There's more than a couple. <laughs> I'm just going to expand on that. They were talking with uh, one of the young kids who just came up to them like, hey, what are you doing? You know how kids are. They're very curious. And they're like, oh, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And uh, it was kind of funny because Justin was explaining to me about, you know, uh, the, the testimony. I'm going to slow down a little bit. I feel like I'm talking really slow. So the kid, if I may, Justin, I'm, I'm taking over this uh, testimony of yours. And the kid comes up to him and he goes, but is, uh, isn't Superman a superhero? Isn't Spider-Man amazing and awesome? And he goes, oh, there is so much, someone so much better. And that is Jesus Christ. And the kid comes and he's chatting. And then the mom obviously comes to get the kid, right? It's like, uh, stop bothering these beautiful men and women. <laughs> but the mom was curious as well, if I'm not mistaken. And then that person was like, wow, who is Jesus again? And they have this personal encounter, if I'm not mistaken, meeting who Christ is and getting to know who Christ is. And that's what it's all about. Amen? Amen. It's for each and every single one of us to share who God is and share how good Jesus is. So I encourage you guys. That's beautiful. Those are beautiful opportunities. Don't, don't give in and don't give up. For me, the, the, the summit was amazing. It was just beautiful to see our youth love the Lord and pursue him in such a way that uh, I hope that it grows even more here. So if I encourage anything, continue to pursue the Lord, continue to love the Lord, and uh, don't, don't limit him. Don't limit him. God bless you guys. God bless you, church. You can see that pastoral heart in both of them, amen? We need more men. For those who were that Monday, here that Monday before the summit, pastor announced that Sunday before, two weeks ago, that, hey, we're going to pray for the summit. We're going to pray for everybody going there. We're going to pray for the people here, and we're going to let the Lord lead them, and we're going to have a prayer on Monday specifically to bless them. And that prayer meant a lot for a lot of people. A lot of people came to me and said, Michael, that was an amazing time where we could just pray specifically to bless the summit, something we haven't done before in that manner. My personal grudge, my personal oh, fight between me and the Lord has always been, God, every time I come to the summit and I do this prayer team before we do this um, each service, it all starts with 5, 10 people and ends up with about 25, 30 people. 
Each day we grow and grow and grow because people build faith. They see God works in the small groups. They come together. They start praying, and we come together. And my, my, my thing was, God, I want to see more than that this year. I don't want to see us just come with four or five and then have it explode. I want us to start just amazing on fire. The first day we showed up, we had 25 people show up. 25 people show up. That's what we usually have at the nice light. And I was so excited. I said, like, God, you're already doing things. And that built up to about 50 people towards the end. It was just amazing to have 50 people come together between, before every surface, cut their lunch, uh, breakfast early, cut their dinners early to come together and pray and focus on the Lord. And what we did there is what we did here this Monday, where we spent 15 minutes solid in prayer to teach people to learn how to pray, to teach people that the importance of sitting down with God and just talking to them, having a conversation. During those times, God revealed to us many, many, many things as he was speaking prophetically right then at the end of the prayer. And one of those things were very unique. He said, you can spend two hours with your friend at a Starbucks or two, two hours with a friend at a pause coffee or whatever and have fun and have talking and have a conversation. But it's difficult to spend 15 minutes with me. And that marked me and I marked a lot of people to take their prayer life a little more serious, to take their time with God a little more serious. And I'm really happy to see fruit from this. This is just three testimonies. There was 25 plus, there was 180, 70 something, just an amazing number of people that had great stories and how God worked in them. Before the, even for, before the first night, before the first session even occurred, I had an opportunity to pray with a young man. And this young man was on fire, and he said, I just need prayer. And we sat down in my little room, and we got on our knees, and we just prayed for the Holy Spirit to work inside of his life. And he worked inside of his life and moved inside of his life like I've never seen before. He was so given in to say, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm done with this. I'm surrendering everything. I don't want nothing else to do with nothing else. And he started calling and making things happen, destroying things in his life that do not need to be there so he can be a clean and pure testimony. And every single day we got there, every single day we prayed, every single day we had time with the Lord. And it was so magnificent to hear testimonies, to hear people reveal things in their hearts that they've never known, to, to dig deep down and have the Holy Spirit work and teach and speak to their hearts of what they've done in the past, what they're going through now and what the solution is for the future. It's amazing to see that. I called James Todorana and said, if I can share his testimony, he said no, because he wants to share it himself, so I'll just do a little snippet. Long story short, James and Navarro had a transformational moment at the summit. Amen. Me and him were little kids together. My dad would pull his ears and do things to him. We are both little kids. That's, that's the story I have with James. To see him grow, to see him grow, to see him get married, to see him move on. And to see about the summit after many, 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 many years of knowing each other. And to see his life transformed in a true way. And his only prayer is that, Michael, I know God's doing things in my life, but God, I just, I just pray that he takes my Baptist wife and makes her Pentecostal. <laughs> and we've prayed this many times over and over the years, and God always told me the same thing. He said, no, not until she wants it. One of the lunches, we come together. And the devotional in the morning said, what are you expecting from God? And she comes to me and James says, I expect to be back to the Holy Spirit. Yes. I said, what? I've known you for seven years, your entire years of marriage. And this is, I expect God to feel with the Holy Spirit because I believe and I see him working here. And I want him to work in my life in the same way. How that happened, how it worked out, it was amazing. Long story short, that night, God did some amazing things up until 1130. And God filled with the Holy Spirit. That testimony will be for another day when I'm here on the pulpit. But it was an amazing experience. That Sunday night, when everybody had that experience, when Eddie got to speak and teach, and, everybody, and I mean everybody came to me and said, Mike, the way Eddie taught was so unique, so different. It touched me in ways I've never been touched before. And they prayed for two hours to let the Lord meet with them. It was so amazing. During this time, I was gone in the ER with James and Ovira. Long story yet again. And I didn't get to 
witnessed that and wasn't there for that participation. But while we were there for the ER, every half hour, as, as James was in the hospital, he kept calling me and said, Mike, this is the new diagnosis. God is good. Another night, hey, man, this is broken. But you know what? God is good. Next call, you know, we're going to have surgery tonight. I'm going to be here all night. God is so good. This is from a man that was so scared to have a mole on his skin, thinking it's something de- detrimental to come back and say, Mike, I am so glad God is so good. He can take my other knee. I don't even care because I worship a true God. True transformation. True transformation. And as we're there in the ER, we're waiting with me and Ervira talking in the mountain hospital in the middle of nowhere. A man and woman walk in, rushed in. This guy had a strap around his leg. He cut his leg with a skill saw, one of those mountain men. And the wife admitted him, and he, she sat down, and God told me, Elvira has such a fire for me right now. She wants to witness to her. She wants to witness her, but she doesn't know how. Start the conversation. So I'm there, 6 o'clock, 6.30, 7 o'clock. The service is starting back at the camp where they're in the ER with this lady. And I just turn around and start talking about why we're here, what the camp we're doing, what we're here for. And she talks about her life. How she was raised in an Orthodox church, in, in a Catholic church, and how she was raised in different ways, and how the people came to her, and she just left all of the religion. We left all of it and got rid of it, didn't want anything to do with it, because it messed her up. And after half an hour of conversation, Elvira spoke up. He said, I was raised in a different way, too. My life was different when I was a kid, and this is what I grew up with. And she had the opportunity to testify to her of what God's been doing through her. Less than 24 hours ago, God filled with the Holy Spirit. 24 hours later, she's already witnessing. I was so excited to see that passion and that fire inside of them. Throughout the whole camp, we've had people with broken toes come to me and said, I got a broken toe. We prayed, and God revealed that it has nothing to do with the toe. It has to do with your heart. We had other people that were praying for each other, and God said, this is a specific journey that you need to go on. You yourself, you cannot depend on anybody else. You need to depend on me and let go of anybody else around you, and you just pray to me. So many different testimonies that I can share. I've been writing them down more and more on my phone so I can have them and more that he's revealing to me as we're going throughout this camps. And usually, typically, like, like Chris said, usually we, you know, we go home and you know, camp's over and go about our ways. But man, that car ride was something different. To have a young person say, Mike, how do you know when the Lord speaks to you? You open up a can of worms. Let's do this. <laughs> Two hours of silence and God speaking. And then he started speaking prophetically to every single heart in that car. There wasn't a dry tear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess. Chris didn't want to show anybody he was crying, so he kept wiping it real fast. God was moving hearts in that car ride. God was moving hearts with David in that car ride. God was moving hearts in so many people on that way back home. And when we got home, we prayed. When we here on Friday, we prayed. I was here Wednesday. Man, I felt the Lord got so deep and so profound. I couldn't stop praying. I turned to the person around me. I said, I wish we had five more minutes of prayer to see God work here. God is so good. In the beginning of that camp, God put me to read Psalm 91. I didn't know why. This is David speaking. He who dwells in the shelter most high will abide in the shadows of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, to him who I trust. David had to be in the house of God and in the shelter, in the shadow of God. And he felt secure. God worked through him through that. And I was like, God, what does that mean to me today? He said, Michael, David had to be in the shadow of God. You guys, God lives in you. God lives through you. He can do so much more than he ever experienced. Even Jesus himself said, when he rose up, he says, when he was going to go back to heaven, I will send somebody greater. You will do greater things. The comforter, the Holy Spirit. 
we have this opportunity and that God can work through us. Every single one of us. I don't care what kind of life you've been in. It doesn't matter what you've done or, or whatever. God can work through us. He can cleanse you. He can heal. He can mend the hearts that are so destroyed and so distraught for years and years and years and years. God can heal all of it like that. Do we trust him? Do we want him to? I know I'm not preaching. I'm so sorry. God bless you all. Thank you. Mulțumim Domnului pentru mărturisirile care le-au adus frații tineri, Domnul să-i binecuvinteze, Domnul să țină tot tineretul sub harul său minunat. În continuare vom lăuda pe Domnul cu o cântare în comun și în timpul acestei cântări îl vom onora pe Domnul cu darurile noastre de bunăvoie. Să răspândă 
Câteva anunțuri importante după care urmează să continuăm cu slujba divină din dimineața aceasta. Cel mai apropiat serviciu divin îl vom avea după masă la orele 6, 6 p.m., deci ne întâlnim după masă să ne bucurăm în casa lui Dumnezeu. Fratele Moise se va întoarce și de asemenea vom fi vizitați de frații de la Biserica Victorii, de aici din orașul nostru. Domnul să binecuvinteze lucrarea din după masă aceasta. De asemenea aș vrea să ținem cont că după masă va fi o a doua colectă care va fi dedicată pentru misiune, deoarece trei tineri din biserica noastră vor pleca în luna iulie în Africa, în misiune. Domnul să sprijinească această lucrare. Avem o datorie sfântă ca biserică, ne-am sfătuit frații din conducerea bisericii ca să-i sprijinim pe frații noștri care pleacă în misiune în Africa. Nu este ușor să fie acolo, dar Domnul este cel care îi va ajuta. Trebuie să-i sprijinim și noi cu partea financiară. Domnul să ne binecuvinteze, deci după masă, pe lângă colecta obișnuită a bisericii, va fi a doua colectă dedicată pentru misiune. În cursul săptămânii, repetițiile sunt cele așa cum sunt cunoscute, iar miercuri seara, la orele șapte, avem serviciu divin în casa Domnului. Paralel, corul de copii și corul de tineri, după cum se cunoaște. Duminica viitoare, fiind prima duminică din luna iulie, va fi 4 of July, 4 iulie, avem dimineața serviciu divin de la ora 10 și vom serba actul cinei Domnului. Este luna iulie, vom avea actul cinei Domnului duminica viitoare. Dar după amiază, slujba divină se anulează. S-a hotărât să nu avem slujbă după masă, întrucât vor fi poate și unii plecați, e sărbătoare și să fie un timp liber pentru familie. Deci dimineață vom avea slujbă la orele 10 cu cina Domnului, iar după amiază va fi timp liber. Avem bucuria deosebită să vă prezint, să vă prezentăm doi tineri care vor încheia legământ de căsătorie sâmbăta viitoare, în 3 iulie, la 4 după amiază, în Rocklin, la locul care ei l-au stabilit și acolo toți cei invitați vor veni și ne vom bucura împreună cu ei, îi vom felicita și îi vom binecuvânta în numele Domnului. Acolo va avea loc și serviciu divin și recepția. Tinerii despre care este bucuria noastră să vi prezentăm sunt Ștefania Ana și Nic Losi. Vă rog să vă ridicați. Domnul să vă binecuvinteze. Haideți să felicităm. Le dorim de pe acum binecuvântarea lui Dumnezeu pe drumul căsniciei. Fiți binecuvântați de Domnul. În continuare, corul mixt al bisericii va lăuda pe Domnul, apoi Violin Group vor slăvi numele Domnului și apoi vom mai anunța.
În programul de citire a bisericii noastre, în fiecare duminică citim un pasaj în Casa Domnului și în această dimineață este planificat psalmul 76 să fie citit în limba engleză de fratele Daniel Barbăroșie. Vă invit respectuos să vă ridicați în picioare după citirea acestui cuvânt. Vom rămâne în picioare pentru cântările de laudă și apoi vom asculta mesajul sfânt care ne va fi adus în dimineața aceasta prin fratele Edis Frângeu, pentru care ne rugăm ca Domnul să-l să binecuvinteze și să lucreze în biserica sa. Amin. Good morning, church. Uh, I'll be reading Psalm 76 in the ESV. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Glorious are you, more majestic than the mountains full of prey. The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep, all the men of war. All the men of war were unable to use their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay stunned. But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once, you once your anger is roused? From the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still when God arose to establish judgment to save all the humble of the earth. Surely the wrath, the wrath of man shall praise you. The remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. Make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared, who cuts off the spirit of princes who is to be feared by the kings of the earth. Amen. Amen.
Hallelujah. God bless you and good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I want to invite you to take your seats, please. I have much that I'd want to share with you this morning from the summit. I could sit here for the next 30 minutes. I could sit here for the next three hours and share with you testimony after testimony about what God has done over the five-day period that we were up on the mountain drawing near to the Lord. I think that there is something godly, that there's something biblical, that there's biblical precedence for a time of separation that is designated in pursuit of the Lord. And I think that this last five-day period is a testimony to that. It's a testament to it. I did want to say, uh, you heard three testimonies from three young men in our church, from Chris and, and uh, the church's youth leader, David, and, and Mike Ruduke. Uh, but in fact, you heard four. You heard what the, te- what the summit was like from these three men, but you experienced what it was like for five days from that group of men that sang that song. And I just wanted to mention... Ruvum, David, uh, Mr. Berinde, and Marky, well done, you know, and praise God. I just, I have to mention that I was so moved by the song, and I knew that it was, it was uh, something that I wanted to, to commend you, um, not to honor you, but to honor the Lord, but I wanted to commend you nonetheless for being available and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and I'll tell you why, because while you were singing, I forgot about you, because I was too busy focusing on the Lord, and I think that that's when we're in the right place. So praise the Lord for that. That's what we did for five days. For five days, we just experienced God and pursued him in ways that were unique and biblical and um, within the typical structure of the church, but were very, very dedicated in that pursuit. What I'd like to teach about this morning and the time that is before me, and uh, I'm going to try to not fly through the message, but there's a lot that I'd like to cover. Is The title of today's message is Christian Idols. Kind of a weird subject to be talking about right after five days on the mountain pursuing the Lord. But I think that it's important, I think that it's tremendously important to understand that within the world of Christendom, within the church, within the world church, within our walks with the Lord, within our personal walks or the local structure or the global church, that often what will happen is that the enemy, when he can't get you to stop following God, he will misdirect you. And there are a lot of movements in the United States of America. There are over 33,000 registered denominations of Christianity within the United States of America. Over 33,000 denominations that revolve around the same book. And when the enemy can't get you to stop following the Lord, what the enemy does often is he will distract you or he'll delay you or he'll get something else to replace the Lord that looks good and sounds good but isn't Jesus. And that's what I'd like to look at today. So Christian idols, idols, what are these? Now, historically, we know these things to be little figurines made of wood or stone or silver or some sort of precious metal. And the idea there would be that people would, would take these little figurines and they would place them in their house kind of as, as, as totems or as, as, as a focal point, as a node to grasp onto. And they would pray to the different gods. And often they wouldn't know the names of these different gods. So they would say that this is for the God of fertility. So that way, you know, we can get pregnant and have many kids. Or this is for the God of the harvest. And we would pray to this unknown God of the harvest that we, we don't, you know, know his name, some might say, and and they would pray to this God in hopes that the harvest would be plentiful. But the interesting thing is, is, uh, you know, Jesus didn't have a particular problem with little figurines. He really had a problem with whenever, whenever we identify and revolve our lives around the pursuit of worshiping something that is not him. You see, the way that God designed man is he designed us to not be able to function healthily without a deep relationship with him. 
He made us to feel empty outside of Jesus. And that's why oftentimes we find ourselves feeling empty. In Romans, in chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, it says, Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, verse 25, because they exchanged truth about God for a lie and worshipped the served we're sorry, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. They exchanged truth for a lie and they worshiped the creature rather than the creator. And often this is what happens in idolism is where we, where we exchange truth for a lie and we take something that we place into our guidance, into our control. We place something that is over us that we say, would you please guide us and control us in our lives? Would you please show us and give us direction about the, the direction that I have to take in my life? And we place something there that is in place of Christ. And that's idol worship. That's, that's idolatry. That's what, you know, Scripture in the Ten Commandments, right, talks about that we are not to pursue nor are we to have. A perfect example of this we find when God created something for good, but it ended up being used for idol worship. It ended up being misused. It's the fiery bronze serpent. In Numbers chapter 21, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9 in the ESV. It says, from Mount Hor they set out by way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and so that many people of Israel died. Verse 7. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For I have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpent from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, pay close attention here. He says, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. The fiery bronze serpent God commanded Moses to make. He made it as an instrument of healing for the people of Israel. It wasn't a bad thing. Obviously it wasn't. It was God who commanded him to do it. Not a bad thing at all. And so here is this, this serpent in the, in the historic story, right? In, in the Old Testament story that he made out of bronze, set it on a pole. And then when fiery serpents, fiery there, by the way, it means that whenever, it means venomous. Whenever a snake would bite you, you feel a burning sensation. That's what that's in reference to. So you have these venomous serpents that bite people. They look at the staff, bronze snake, they are healed. Nothing bad about any of this. Moses fulfilled God's commandment. Nothing bad about, about the serpent on the staff. There's plenty bad about the serpents biting people. But that's a different, that's a different message. Um, so the very thing that God told them to do, they did. And it blessed them. But if you look forward in 2 Kings and the reign of Hezekiah, uh, it talks about the reign of Hezekiah in the first three verses, 2 Kings chapter 18. But in the fourth verse, it says what Hezekiah did. It says, And he, Hezekiah, removed the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. The serpent we just talked about, that we just read about. Why? For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. That was the name that they had named their false god. So here is a thing that God had created, had told Moses to create as a blessing to the people of Israel. Was the thing itself bad? No, not when it stayed in its place. But when they took it and they placed it in the place of the Lord, they took God's blessing and made an idol out of God's blessing. 
This is what happens in Christendom often whenever we take Christian things and we put them in the place of Jesus. There are a lot of things that are amazing in Christendom that God calls us to live and to have and to do and to experience and to be a part of, but they need to stay in their lane. They cannot replace or take the place of Jesus Christ. So somebody might ask, so, you know, what's, what exactly is, is the big deal? How, how do we see this kind of portray or, 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 or um, fall apart in our lives? If you look at Psalm 115 and verse 4, it talks about the making of idols, right? Psalm 115 verse 4 in the ESV, it says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. But if you skip down to verse 8, so it talks about idols, right? And then it, it talks about how the, you know, idols don't have ears, so they can't hear. They don't have eyes, they can't see, and so on. And then you hit verse 8, it says... It says, those who make them, the idols, become like them. So do all who trust in them. If you idolize certain things in our Christian walk, and I'll get into those things in just a minute. If we idolize those things, we become like those things. And let me give you some examples. There's two things I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how easily we can idolize the institution. We can idolize our own logic. We can idolize talent and performance. We can idolize administration. We can idolize uh, uh, excellence. When we idolize these things, we become like them. And what that means is this, is that all we do, we do based on logic. We're not praying, we're not hearing, we're not taking risks based on what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. We're just doing whatever it is that fits within the measures of our own wisdom, our own knowledge, and our own understanding. Sometimes I walk into churches and I wonder. Sometimes, and don't, don't get me wrong, you guys know me well enough to know that I like administration. My spiritual gifting is, is to build structures and to build people. I'm all about having bylaws and running through all of that, more so than most, to the point to where I kind of drive some people nuts. I get that. But I want you to understand that that has its place, but it is not the place of Christ. Sometimes I walk into churches and I wonder, when I watch and I see how perfect everything functions inside of a church, I wonder, if God wasn't present, would we even notice? You know, it's a concern to me today, especially as I look at Christendom today, especially Western, Western Christendom within the United States of America. A grave concern of mine is that if Jesus weren't real, would the church still exist? I think it would. Look at how many false religions there are, and yet they still exist just fine, don't they? If Jesus weren't real, would we still exist? And that's a concern of mine. It's a concern of mine for my own life and for my sons and, 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 and for young people in the church and old people. And I sit here and I watch and I wonder, what is it that makes us the way that we are? Now, what I love about, about our congregation, and I don't want to make two mistakes here at the same time. I don't want to make a, a, a mistake and be condemning. And I don't want to make a stake, mistake and pretend like it doesn't exist. And I think that both would be a mistake. I think that we need to measure ourselves in our own hearts against the scripture and against the Lord and find out exactly where we're at. Because I'll tell you, I'm guilty of it sometimes. I'm guilty of looking and measuring every last thing where I forget to spend time before the Lord and praying and saying, God, is this even what you want? Do you want to change something? Do you want to flip everything upside down? It's your call. It's your church, right? Jesus says to Peter, and you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. He builds it. It's his. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's the Lord's. Amen. And so we have to be awake and vigilant. The second thing I want to talk about is if we idolize the supernatural experiences. We're Pentecostals. We're a Wesleyan holiness Pentecostals is, is the kind of the, the stream that we draw out of. Nothing wrong with that. I am A-OK -okay with that. In fact, I am for that because I believe in living out the scripture in its completion and in its, in, in its entirety. But sometimes, especially as we look around, there is a move of, of hyper-charismaticism that is sweeping across Christendom today that is of grave concern to me. And if we idolize the experience, 
And if we idolize, if we idolize the gift rather than the gift giver, if we idolize the experience down at the altar and the emotional high that we might experience, rather than being in Christ's presence, then what will end up happening is that we will become like our idols. Ministry will become striving until you experience a feeling or an experience that you're in pursuit of. You'll despise accountability and follow your feelings. These are the two areas that I really want to talk about is the idol of, of charismaticism, of hayfire revival, of experience, of, of emotionalism outside of the word of God. And so I want to look at these two things in the little bit of time that I do have left. You know, if you look out at the building on the other side of the parking lot, there's a lot of similarities with that building and with the structure and the administration and, and, and the, the institution that, that exists in many of our lives. Now, these things... Are, are there and they're in place to help us get further. Structure, institution, right? Things like priority lists or schedules, disciplines, programs and services, structured institutions that we belong to like schools or places of higher learning, of training. They're not bad, much like the bronze serpent. They're very good for us and super important to have, but they can become bad if they take the place of Jesus. Outside, we have a building that we're building. And you can only get so much work done and, you know, only, only so high off the ground. As you guys know, we've been in this project for a while now, uh, you know, without specific tooling in place. Now, there's personal tooling that you have, right? You have a hammer, you have a tape measure, you got a cordless drill. It's probably in Milwaukee because you know what you're doing. Um, you know, to do work, you need some tools. And to get higher, you know, climbing up higher, you know, if you got to put a screw in somewhere higher or whatever, you know, you, you use a ladder or a remaining ladder known as a bucket. You know, you use... You use whatever you find around you, and you reach up high, and you get different work done. You know, now, there's a certain amount of work that you can do with just hand tools. There's a certain amount of more work that you can do with power tools. But when it comes to heavy equipment, heavy equipment's a whole different world. Now, understand, heavy equipment, these are much more complicated and powerful pieces of machinery. It takes a tremendous amount of work to design and to build these different pieces of machinery. It takes a tremendous amount more maintenance in a, a telehandler or an excavator or a big forklift than it would in a hammer, for example. But if everything works just right, they can be tremendously powerful in achieving your goal. What one man in one excavator can do would take a team of men a week. What he can do in a day, right? So they're, they're specialized. A lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort, a lot of energy, high maintenance, but specialized and they're very effective. Now, now there's, there's hand tools. There's, there's the big, you know, uh, heavy machinery. Or we can use stationary fixed tools that will help us have access to higher areas. This is the scaffolding around the building. That scaffolding, it is the biggest of the three. It is more work than, than, you know, buying and operating heavy machinery. It is more work than using hand tools. It is a tremendous amount of work that takes a team of people to be able to establish, set up, tie into the building, make sure it's OSHA compliant. But once it's up, once it's up, there's very little maintenance that's involved. Once it's up, it gives you access to all sides of the building at any given time. Once it's up, you know, as opposed to the heavy machinery, it might be low on diesel or, or it might need hydraulic fluid or it might need maintenance or maybe something broke on it. But once the scaffolding is up, you just have access to it and you have access around the entire building. These are structures that exist. These are structures that exist. Now, these things, the tools, the heavy equipment, the scaffolding, they're all good, but they're not the point, are they? The building's the point. We're building a church. We're not building a cathedral of scaffolding. We're, we're, you know what I mean? We're, we're not building... We're not building you know, uh, 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 a parking lot of heavy machinery. You know, you, we don't get together and talk about the tools all the time. You know, these tools we can carry with us. We can utilize them every day. The heavy equipment are specialized. You know, the scaffolding is the biggest part of the structure, but really it's about the building. And in this example that I'm giving you, the building represents our relationship with Jesus. That's the point. Everything else around it is auxiliary. 
But the point is the building. The point is the building. Everything else is just there to help build the building. When the building is done, you know what people are going to say? They're going to say, wow, look at that glass curtain wall. That's huge. That's like three and a half stories tall. They're going to they're drive up and they're going to look at the cross. And they're going to say, wow, look at the cross. That's just shy of five stories. All true facts, by the way. They're going to walk in and say, well, look at the size of the sanctuary, right? It's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. Man, how much money, effort, time, energy, you know, went into this. You know what they're not going to say? Hey, remember the scaffolding? No one's going to say that. Nobody's going to pull up to the building and say, where's the boom lift? Anybody seen the scissor lift around? Nobody's going to sit around and talk about, man, you know, I used this S-wing hammer and it was all right, but there's this like Duluth hammer that was so much, but you should see the tool belt that I had. No one's going to talk about any of these things. What everyone's going to talk about is what the main thing is, which is the main thing that we're working towards. If we spend more money, more energy, more time on the equipment while we're building, we will never finish that building. In fact, we'll end up in bankruptcy and we'll never finish it if we spend all of our money on equipment, if we spend all of our money on scaffolding, if we spend all of our money on tooling. And it's the same thing spiritually. If we spend all of our money, if we spend all of our time, if we spend all of our energy, if we spend all of our dedication on the things that are supposed to surround our relationship with Jesus, then we'll never be focused on actually developing our relationship with Jesus. And I'll give you an example. These tools are all necessary for the job, but we are in danger of bankruptcy if they become the focus. Our power tools, our heavy equipment, our scaffolding is important for the building because it can't get done without them. Please don't misunderstand. This is not an either-or message. I'm not saying... You don't need tooling to get the building done. You need tooling, but it's got to stay in its lane. It's got to stay in its lane. So I want to look at what, what, what am I referencing when I say power tools? Things that you carry on you for growth, right? Things that you carry on you to help you develop the building. These are your spiritual disciplines. Praying, fasting, reading the word of God. Time in solitude, time in simplicity, being a good uh, steward of your finances, of your time, of your energies. These are our daily disciplines. These are the things that we carry with us every single day. I'm not going to go and build arguments to explain that the Bible says that we should pray because, one, we're short on time, and two, that's pretty basic. If you want to know, it's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Fasting. The Bible doesn't directly command us to fast, but it's anticipated that we do as a Christian. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 6, 16 through 18. Reading the Bible, there's tons of scripture about the importance of reading the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Matthew 4, 4. Psalm 119, 11. And I'll read Psalm 119.11 just because I love it. It says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus expected us to read the Bible. You know how I know? Because he wrote it in a human language for who to read, if not us, right? That's why it's written in English and in Romanian and in Hungarian and every other language because it was intended for us to read and to know. So how do we make our disciplines into idols? Because that's really what we're talking about. By having these disciplines take the place of Jesus in our lives, and we make doing these things our focus. The Pharisees did exactly that, didn't they? Did you know the Pharisees prayed more than you and I pray? They prayed a lot more than we pray. The Pharisees, between the, age, um, between the ages of, I believe it's, yeah, 6 and 12, they spent the entire time learning the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. The first five books of Moses, memorizing them. Then the ones that were selected from there would spend another two years specializing in getting every last bit down. Then after that, when, when they were 15, then they would spend 15 years, the ones that were selected, to follow a rabbi. And they would imitate everything from that rabbi. But they would already know the word of God. They would know it inside and out. Don't you think that the enemy knows the Bible better than you and I? Of course he does. Of course he does. What about fasting? Right? The Pharisees, it says that they fasted all the time. 
right? It says, uh, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. The motivation of their prayers was to be seen. The motivation of their fast was to be seen. Jesus confronts the Pharisees and he says, you, you who, who read the scripture, who know the scripture, who from your childhood have memorized the scripture, You know this better than anybody else. He's sitting there in front of them. This is to lead us to Jesus. Jesus is standing before the Pharisees, and the Pharisees don't have a clue that they're looking in the eyes of Jesus. This is the roadmap to him, and yet they've been so focused on learning the roadmap, they never actually went on the journey to actually find him. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, he says to the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This isn't the point. I need the tooling to be able to build the building, but this isn't the point. This leads me to the point, which is a relationship with Jesus. Look, at the end of the day, none of you are here because Eddie Sfringeau is preaching. None of us are here and, and, we belong, and we belong to memberships of churches because the worship team is playing. The reason why we're Christians is because we had an experience, an encounter with Jesus, and we know that he is real and that he is alive. That's what changed all of us. It was the love of God. It wasn't a sermon. It wasn't an altar call. It wasn't a worship. It wasn't talent. It wasn't any other thing. It was the love of God, and it's the only thing that keeps us committed and dedicated and continually moving forward in a relationship that is real and vibrant and alive. God help us to be able to continue to walk in a way that is true and honest. When we pray, when we fast, when we read the word of God for the sake of looking good to others or looking good to ourselves, we make an idol of our disciplines. Let me ask you a question. What's better? Praying for many years and not growing at all spiritually. Or praying once and having transformation happen in your life. I'm not against praying always. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing, but sincerity is greater than length. All right? In Scripture, in John 4.23, it says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him in spirit and in truth, meaning not just verbally, but in spirit. And in truth, meaning in sincerity and transparency and honesty and openness. What's, what's, what's more important? Fasting twice a week, three times a week. Let's go four. Let's go big. Fasting four times a week for a solid year and looking back after a year and wondering, have I grown spiritually? Or fasting a couple of times, but really pursuing God and finding spiritual breakthrough. Do you understand what I'm getting at? We can easily make our disciplines idols. We can easily put them in the place and say, I'm checking these boxes and I'm doing these things. But if we're not doing them in pursuit of Jesus, in pursuit of Jesus, then we're not genuinely growing in discipleship, are we? What's better, reading the entire Bible and memorizing it or reading a little and actually living it? You know what's the most important thing? It's not how much Bible you know, it's how much Bible you live. We can easily memorize the entire scripture. You think the devil doesn't know this better than me and you? Of course he does. Even the parts that I don't get, he gets. You understand? But how much of this are we living? How much of this are we living? How much of this are we walking in? How much of this are we, are we reading, not just for the sake of checking a box, but reading so that way I can know it, so that way I can live it? God help us. Special events is what I would refer to as the heavy equipment. Special events, they are highly focused and specialized. It takes a lot of planning, time, money, effort, and energy to organize them, to create them. They are expensive, but they can be super effective and unique. We find a special experience or a special event in Acts chapter 2, right? When Pentecost had descended, it was very unique. That wasn't the church every day. That was Acts chapter 2. 
the day of Pentecost. You look at Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48, where Peter took his, his goshka, right? His, his crew, his group of guys, and they went out and they met in Cornelius' house and they shared the gospel. And then the Holy Spirit descended in the middle of his sermon upon the entire audience. And then the Holy Spirit baptism had come to the Gentiles as well. That was a special, specialized focus. That took money to travel back then. That took energy, time, effort. His whole group came together and they went on a special purpose. This is what I would refer to as heavy machinery. Examples would be like a youth conference, a summit, youth trips, united events, couples conferences, VBS that's coming up. These are specialized, focused events, highly focused, takes a ton of planning. They're expensive. They can be super specific and unique, really amazing and effective at helping people meet Jesus. But how can these special events become idols? We can look at them and think that it's because of the summit that a change happened in my life. And I'll tell you, it isn't. I love the summit. I'm the one who runs it, organizes it, created it six years ago. But I'll tell you, it's not the summit. It's Jesus. It's not, it's not, you know, the altar call. It's not the youth conference. We can idolize those things very easily. We can say, man, you know, I I can't wait to get to camp because at camp, that's where I'm going to meet with Jesus. Do you realize how silly this is? Think about this with me for a second. According to scripture, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, is, and this is the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and the generations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Jesus lives in me and Jesus lives in you. Listen to how silly this is. I'm here with the Holy Spirit living in me and I'm gonna wait for three months to go by so that way I can go up on a mountain somewhere to hear what the Holy Spirit who lives in me told some guy to preach to me so I can have a better relationship with Jesus. I mean, it's silly, isn't it? It's not the summit. It's not the youth conference. It's not the lead retreat. It's not VBS or any other thing. Don't get me wrong. These things are important as long as they stay in their lane. But what we have to realize is that all of these things, highly specialized, a ton of maintenance, a ton of effort, a ton of work, are to do something else, not to glorify themselves, but to lead us to Jesus, right? The heavy machinery we didn't buy just to keep on the property. We bought it to build the building. And it's the same way. These special events, they have purpose. And it's not themselves. It's the Lord, It's the Lord. We need them. We need couples conferences. We need VBS. We need the summit and the youth conferences. But just understand, don't limit your experience with the Lord to only those places. Or else what happens is that we go, God, you can't work except there. God, you can't meet me here. I got to wait until I hear preacher so-and-so preach. Now, let me ask you, isn't that idolatry? Where we say, you know what, Lord, it's not you. It's you plus the summit that makes the change in my life. It's you plus this event that makes the change in my life. Aren't we trying to tell Jesus, Jesus, can you share the throne of Godship in my life with an event, with my disciplines? Can you share the throne with something else? And the Lord will not share his glory with any other. It's either him or nothing. That's the way that it works. The third place is the formal church, the institution. That's the scaffolding. The church organization, the weekly services, structures and services, formation and weekly rehearsals. These are all not just good things. These are amazingly necessary things. We need the church. We need Sunday services. We need weekly rehearsals. We need these things. But don't think for a second that because you're in choir or because you've come to church on Sundays that it means that your relationship with Jesus is fine. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard for me to say. And I'll I'll look at the flip side in just a second. But ultimately, what I'm trying to get at is something very, very simple. It would be a grave mistake to think that the scaffolding is the building. That the scaffolding help 
that the scaffolding is the building. The scaffolding helps build the building, but it is not the building. Attending church is not a relationship with Jesus. I would argue that you cannot have a genuine relationship with Jesus if you're not attending church. I would argue that very easily. You, you cannot have a genuine relationship with Christ if you're not attending a church somewhere, if you're not in consistent fellowship. I'm sorry, according to Scripture, we need the fellowship of the saints. There's no way around that. But it doesn't replace my relationship with Jesus. It is complementary to my relationship with Jesus. Listen, I need you. I need you guys around me. I need mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters to be able to speak into my life. I need that. But please don't make the mistake of ever thinking that you're my Jesus or that I'm yours or that anybody is anybody else's. You can idolize your husband and put him in the place of Christ. You can idolize your wife and put her in the place of Christ. Where all of the different needs in your life, you put that on them. We can idolize the church very easily. The Pharisees attended more church than we do. The devil and the demons attend more church than we do. The question is, is when you're here, are you pursuing Jesus? That's the question. The point of the scaffolding is to access and support, access and support to do the work. Do you take advantage of the access that you have with Jesus within this framework? Do you take advantage of the support you have of drawing near? Let me give you an example. When the worship team sings, do you sing? And I'm not criticizing. I'm not even watching. I'm too busy singing. I don't care. I, just, I want to meet with the Lord. When, when there's a sermon, are you, are you trying to pay attention? You know, what, you know what mistakes I make sometimes? Oh, that song again. Oh, that, that, that preacher. Mm, I don't really connect with that preacher. Man, I, we shouldn't be here for each other. We should be here for the Lord. And I feel deeply ashamed when there's someone on stage leading a song in worship. And because I don't like that song, I'm going to allow that to be the price that the enemy so cheaply purchases. My willingness to get into God's presence. We can make the church an idol like this. We absolutely can. When we say, I need the right service, I need the right worship team, I need the right preacher, I need the right timing, I need to make sure that I slept enough that night, and if I do, then, 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 then I'll meet with God. How shameful that we should approach the Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, with that kind of mentality. And I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself there. This point of the scaffolding is to access. How do we make the church an idol? I wrote down a couple of questions that I don't want to ask you. When you hear what will people say more than you hear what will God say, we might have made the church into an idol. When the size of the congregation matters more, more than the health of the congregation, we might have made the church an idol. When how we look as a church, as a community, matters more than God meeting people, we might have made the institution's image the main thing and not the image of the Lord. When we mistakenly confuse our relationship with Jesus with a relationship with the church, we have made the church an idol in our lives. When you can't spend time taking care of your wife or your kids because you're too busy serving at church, please understand that your relationship with the church is not your relationship with Jesus. In the list of priorities, my relationship with Jesus is above every other relationship, but my relationship with my family is above my relationship with the church. Please understand, my wife comes before all of you. And I hope that your spouse comes before me. They should. That's scripture. I'll read it for you. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, right? It says, for those that don't take care of their relatives, especially those of their own household, they are worse than an unbeliever. Okay, so you have to understand, my relationship with Jesus and your relationship with Jesus should come first. But your family should come second. Okay, and I'll tell you, growing up in the church, I would always pay attention to ministers whenever they would talk about regrets that they had. You know, it's the number one regret that I hear that ministers have had growing up. You probably already know it. I wish I didn't neglect my family so much. And I made a promise to the Lord. I said, God, I will not make that mistake. I might have other regrets, but that won't be one of them. When we make my relationship with the church more important than my relationship with my family, 
then what ends up happening is that I have made this institution an idol to where I make that equal to the relationship with Jesus. Relationship with Jesus, yeah. The idol of charismaticism. I'm already a minute over, I apologize. But I do want to touch on this if that's all right. The idol of charismaticism, of hayfire revival, of experiences and emotions. We can make hayfire or revival an idol as well. In Proverbs 19, verses 2 and 3, in the HCSB, it says, Even zeal is not good without knowledge, and the one who acts hastily sins. A man's own foolishness leads him astray, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Another example is Peter cutting off Malchus's ear when they came to get Jesus out of the Garden of Gethsemane. Zeal. Zeal but not wisdom or knowledge or understanding. Zeal without knowledge is like a car with a 500 horsepower engine and no steering. You're making great time, but you're not sure where you're going and given enough time, you're gonna hit a pole. You're making amazing progress, but you don't know if it's good progress and given up enough time, you'll end up in a tree. Places where this happens, events, youth conferences, summits, hyper-charismatic churches, uh, when we pursue things like revival, the gifts of the Spirit, experientialism and feelings, these are not bad things. We should pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues. We should pursue the gifts. We should pursue prayer. We should pursue revival. But the pursuit of that shouldn't eclipse the pursuit of a relationship with Jesus. We are on earth with a mission, right? The Great Commission, Matthew 28, and then the Great Commandment, Matthew 22. The Great Commission is to be a disciple who makes disciples. The Great Commandment is to love God and to love people. Our existence is about loving God and loving people. We are to be a disciple of Christ who makes disciples. This is why we grow closer to Jesus by prayer, fasting, reading the word, events, church. This is why we pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is why we pursue the gifts of the Spirit to worship God in love and to bless others in love. This relationship is healthy and that makes these relationships healthy. If you look at Jesus, Jesus' life was not about him even though he was and is fully and completely God and yet his own life modeled for us wasn't about him his life was about his heavenly father and those around him and he modeled that for us look i'm just i'm gonna rip off the band-aid because i think it's a little easier your life is not about you it's about jesus and the people around you that's i mean that's the reality that's what i see in jesus and the sooner that we come to terms with that reality the easier it is to be a christian Am I saying that we should pray for things, that we shouldn't pray for things for us? Of course we should. That's part of sanctification. It's part of growing in God. It's discipleship. You know, pray for greater faith. Pray for wisdom. Pray for direction. Pray for guidance. Pray for God to empower you. You can ask God for things. But ultimately, we're supposed to be living a life for God and for people around us, to love God and to love people, to be a disciple who makes disciples. How do we make idols out of these experiences? We pursue revival with the worship team and with sermons and for zeal, but I often wonder if we're pursuing Jesus or an experience. I have a question. Whenever you do troubleshooting of anything, right? The, light, the light's not working. Let me see. Is it the switch? It's not the switch. You've alienated the switch. Let me go and check the breaker. Is it the breaker? It's not the breaker. You've alienated the breaker. Okay, let me go check the actual light bulb. You flick it, you look at it, and it looks like it's fine. You put it, now there's a problem where? Probably in a connection point somewhere. Where, where was anybody working? I was working on a switch the other day in the other room. Let me go check that. You check it, and you've isolated the problem. That's troubleshooting. If we were to troubleshoot the altar call, if we were to troubleshoot our spiritual experientialism, I wonder, I just wonder, I wonder if we had an altar call, but the worship team didn't come up in the last five minutes of the pastor's sermon. If we had an altar call where, this is, this is what I wrote. What if there was an altar call with no worship teams? Would the conviction of sin and the desire to know Jesus be enough for somebody to come down? 
right? Think about that. But everybody, everybody's going to hear you walking. Everyone's going to look at you. Is it enough? Is it enough? The love of God and the conviction of sin, is it enough? I wonder if, if there wasn't a dynamic speaker and a powerful message, if you weren't in an AC building, would the conviction of sin and the love of God be enough? And this is what I wonder. You know, when we do altar calls at events, we notice things. I remember I was at a youth conference and we did an altar call for salvation on the first night. And a lot of people came down. I was so happy. On the second night, there was a different speaker. He also did an altar call. Also for salvation. Also full altar. Also the same people. And on the third night, it was a very similar altar call for repentance. Full altar, same people. And I'm just curious if we didn't have the worship team and we didn't have the message and we didn't have the AC building and we had nothing else, is Jesus enough or does there always have to be extra things on top of that? Because we can easily make an idol out of experiences that we have and out of charismaticism and every other thing that's attached to it. Do we pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit or Pentecostals, right? Do we pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Do we pursue it for the purpose of receiving it? Or do we pursue it biblically? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, so that you may be my witnesses. Are we pursuing the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues? Because, God, I want to be baptized because I want to receive power so I can witness for you. Or am I pursuing it because I just need to obtain it because that's like the third level or the second level of Christendom and I want to be able to experience that. Those of you that are saved, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4, right? it says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So are you speaking in tongues to edify yourself so that way you can receive more power, so that way you can be able to witness according to Scripture? Or is it just something that is a notch in my belt that I can say that, yeah, I've received it, or I've been baptized? That's good, but are you, are you allowing God to work in you and through you with that? Look, if, if, if God gives a gift of, pro, of prophetic work, let me give you a perfect example. Beginning of this month, I'm praying right there. You remember, you were here, China, and I'm praying at the end of service, and Sora Margareta has a prophecy for me that I have a trial that's going to be in front of me. And you know what? While we were at the summit, we had to handle a situation that wasn't bad, but we just had to make some decisions, and it required a tremendous amount of wisdom. So we met with the leadership team, and we made some decisions. Okay, who was the gift giver of the prophecy? It was God, right? Who was the gift receiver? It wasn't Sora Margareta. It was me, because I was the one who received the gift. I was the one who received the prophetic word. At the end of the day, am I pursuing the gifts of the Spirit for me, or am I pursuing them for others around me? Because it's got to be about my relationship with Jesus and those around me. He's the gift giver. I'm not the gift receiver. I'm just the conduit, and the gift receiver is he who receives the healing, or he receives the prophetic word, or he who receives the discernment. So lastly, how do we live idol-free? Real simple. The only way to live idol-free is to live a Jesus-centered life. Um, the last thing that I just want to mention is just this. There's a slide that if I can ask the production team to put up of, the, of a priority list. This is our priority list, all right? This is most people's priority list. And you've got priority list. You've got Jesus, family, ministry or church, work or school, friends, self-care, rest. Yours might look a little bit different. It might have a couple of other things thrown in there. It might have some sub points if you're really technical. But that's pretty, pretty accurate. But you know what the problem is with the priority list? Jesus is the most important thing in my life, and then family, and then ministry. But if I'm at work, and my wife calls me, and she goes, hey, what you doing? 
And I'm like, uh, I'm in the middle of work. What's going on? Is everything okay? And she's like, yeah, I just want to talk. Can't. I'm at work. And I got to go back to work. Now, at that moment, which one's the priority? Is it work or is it my wife? Because if it was my wife, I'd sit on the phone. But it's not. It's work. Now, if she calls me and she says, hey, I just got in a car accident. Guess what the priority is? It's my wife. I'm leaving work. So a priority list doesn't really actually function. Because what it does is it puts Jesus in the category where I spend time with Jesus or I'm not spending time with Jesus because something else is the priority. And what's more accurate, I think, to our Christian walk is the next slide. Is a priority wheel, and I'll explain exactly what I mean. Depending on where the wheel meets the road, that's what the priority is at the time. And depending on what's more important, the wheel will switch, but at the center of everything is Jesus. So the way that I treat my wife flows out of my relationship with Jesus. The way that I, that I work at work, the way that I clock in on time and I clock out on time, the way that I make sure that I'm not stealing uh, out of time or energy or effort or that I'm not cheating on my taxes, it flows out of what? Out of my relationship with Jesus. The way that I am at church and the way that I carry myself at church flows out of my relationship with Jesus. The way that I am with friends, the way that I am in prayer, fasting, reading the word, the way that I am at the summit or at the, at, at the youth conference, the way I attend service, the way that I sing, the way that I hear the word, the way that I pursue supernatural works, it all flows out of my relationship with Jesus. And if we can be men and women that keep the right thing and the right thing and the main thing as the main thing, which is our relationships with Jesus, every other thing will flow out of that. This is why Proverbs teaches us, above all else, guard your hearts, for out of it flow all the issues of life, because in our heart needs to be Christ. God help us. I love you, church. Amen. Vă invit, frate și să vă ridicați în picioare. Avem datoria sfântă să mulțumim lui Dumnezeu pentru cuvântul care Domnul ne l-a dat în această dimineață. Să-i mulțumim pentru chemarea care ne-a făcut-o de a lăuda pe Dumnezeu și de a-L pune în centru vieții noastre. El trebuie să fie cel din tâi în viața noastră și apoi toate celelalte lucruri ne vor fi binecuvântate de Dumnezeu după ce mai întâi l-am iubit și îl iubim pe El. Slăvit să fie numele Lui. Și așa cum a fost chemarea din Psalmul 115, nu nouă, Doamne, dăm slavă, ci numelui Tău dăm slavă, Doamne, pentru bunătatea și pentru credincioșia Ta. De aceea, în rugăciunea aceasta finală, în această dimineață, Vom veni înaintea lui Dumnezeu și îl vom lăuda pe el mai întâi și îl vom ruga să ne ajute să ne punem toată încrederea noastră în el. Israelul este chemat pe case, pe familii, pe biserici, toți suntem chemați să ne încredem în Dumnezeu, să ne punem nădejdea în el și el este cel care ne va binecuvânta și vom fi cu el pentru veșnicie. Cu toții să venim înaintea lui Dumnezeu în rugăciune de mulțumire.